How many, what do you think of when you think of startups and entrepreneurship and raising capital? A lot of things come to mind, I'm sure. More specifically, have you ever raised, been responsible, and I'm asking this to broaden my audience just a little bit, uh, to to explain what is felt by the one doing it. And in this case, even if startups and fundraising is not exactly your your first-hand experience, for anyone that has been responsible for fundraising or the funding of any project, will most likely have a first-hand encounter of what I'll, this podcast episode is about. And in this episode, uh, and I hope to keep it very brief, is simply kind of a, 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 a soapbox rant to myself. And to my phone as I'm talking here on this podcast, though I do intend to share, I think I'm using this now more as, uh, again, as stated, just a soapbox for me to vent on what I've seen over the last decade. And what is that? It's, I am coming largely to the opinion that early stage startup founders that are actively fundraising are largely selfish bunch. Why do I say that? That that may not sound like the description that anyone else associates or thinks of when they think of early stage startup founders and fundraising or wondering how I got that conclusion based off uh, someone in a fundraising capacity. And here's how. It's, it's rather simple, first-hand documented uh, autobiography, if you will, experience. Uh, what I've witnessed in the last six or seven years, I have unfortunately, fortunately, been in the finance sector and associated with helping startups and early stage ventures and established business owners of small enterprises raise funding. Um, That may sound, whatever that sounds like as far as a career, I can tell you it is one field with a lot of no's um, and being that I am intrinsically a yes man, this is one of the biggest struggles I have in this industry or in this, in this capacity is having to say no and at the scale I do. The reality is, unfortunately, I don't have unlimited funding sources uh, and therefore I have to be selective in who I can, and who I can raise funding for. Uh, not that this helps, but looking through the metrics over the last couple years, it indic- it clearly I fund less than one percent of those that come to me. Uh, that is uh, largely in part due to I was targeting too wide in the beginning. I, I, I needed to better understand who my niche audience is. Uh, niche audience, you know, there's a difference between saying you help early stage founders get funding and saying you help early stage tech founders 
secure non-diluted funding and you help scientific and established businesses with grants and loans or working capital. There's a big difference. Uh, and it all comes down to, like every entrepreneur, knowing who my audience is. So in the beginning, obviously didn't really know my audience other than people needing funding and would go to LinkedIn. You know, this is circa 2013, 14, 15. I'd make one post and say, hey, who needs funding? You know, get at me, you know, send me a message, DM me, whatever. Well, that little effort, minimal effort on my part, would complete the top of my funnel, speaking to the marketing folks in the world, with more leads, leads at that stage anyway, than one person could sort through in a lifetime. This had a negative consequence in that it boosted my ego and made me feel productive at the time and that I had a lot of leads, had a lot, of, and when I say leads, generally the, the, the practice at the, that time was I would have a brief, you know, 20 minute introduction with these, with these people call, you know, that were respond to that post. And after that 20 minutes, there'd be, if there was any interest on my end, any at all, for any reason, we would then go into a due diligence process over the particular venture and in due diligence, ultimately just trying to figure out if the venture or the investment opportunity being presented had any legs by however we defined legs. Um, so it was a very intimate process, time consuming. In short, now that I've told you 99%, I'm not able to fund I could have done a lot better and done myself a lot of favors by weeding out a bulk of those appointments and better tuning who I got on the phone with. Uh, one of my own mentors in a critique uh, mentioned that one of my weaknesses, and, and speaking of this time, especially in this era, that I was too accessible, which is true. Um, I was giving, you know, looking back to say that 99% of your efforts went to nothing other than good communication, I guess, over businesses that are, for the most part, no better today than they were then, uh, isn't a good thing. But I did learn, obviously, a lot of lessons on my own through entrepreneurship. Obviously, in here, it is the notion of know your customer, uh, which is an ever uh, non-ending quest uh, as long as you're in business, uh, I guess I would assume that, that that is one of the thoughts leading. So back, so pulling back to the topic, that is a little background of where uh, I speak from when I say firsthand experience. It was uh, being connected to investors, venture capitalists, uh, at, the, at the beginning primor primarily equity and private investors. Uh, which has its own slew of problems, namely you're not qualified uh, or the average startup is not qualified and the average uh, business is not large enough to produce the returns, therefore not in my audience. Um, I evolved from the equity only private investors to include, uh, much to my benefit, a lot of players in the debt side which do your you know, your SBA loans, your traditional loans, your term, uh, more more in the lending capacity, though these are, are alternative lenders in that they aren't banks, though they offer the same 
vehicles, instruments, financially speaking, that, that banks offer. And in fact, in a lot of cases, surprisingly, better uh, than banks. Um, just simply that notion of risk, which you know a lot of uh, private lenders and investors can take and a bank cannot, uh, which in the end helps the consumer get competitive offers that regardless a bank will not be able to offer, nor do we really want a bank taking risk because banks think about it people they use our you know they're using people's retirement money and in bulk sit on it in interest you don't want that money to be at play at risk you know not the money that banks use um, these are people's homes these are people's retirements these aren't this isn't you know things that they need to go out there getting very risky i investing in your organic tampon company that you're starting in the philippines you know, it's not where that money needs to go um, though I have, again, uh, summarized, I have fortunately kind of got a full circle with equity and debt, lent, uh, what means of funding at least. But and in this capacity, even when I broaden the scope, and I say broaden, I mean, I should say loosened, because debt funding, let's just take, a, for example, a regular uh, term loan say six years, 50,000, 100,000, you know, some nominal single digit, single digit interest, you know, it works just like we all have with our car payments. You know, we're, we're, no one's really unfamiliar with that, ter that ter those, those types of financing. Uh, they are a lot easier to fund than say, when you're working with an angels or uh, uh, private investors and venture capitalists who have very strict, strenuous requirements uh, that will weed out the bulk right off the front. Whether you're like me and ignore them and still interview every entrepreneur nonetheless, or you take those requirements seriously and really try to identify an investor that has your risk appetite uh, or their risk appetite is in line with your venture, then great, you'll probably speed up your funding. But even with the debt funding available and equity, I, in these six or seven years of listening to pitches, I would say that nine of 10, and that's lowballing of the person I'm speaking with, so the person presenting, seeking investment, fundraising, is not, I walk away from that conversation thinking of them as the most narcissistic and selfish founder possible each and every time that happens and each person uh, exceeds the previous one or is equal to the, the rate of narcissism and selfishness that I th now do I think these people in whole are narcissistic and selfish absolutely not I am just to pull out for a second and say that I am aware that life is more encompass more encompassing than simply the way someone acts during when they're raising capital for an early stage venture i'm i'm obviously aware there's a lot more factors into someone's uh being than how they act in that moment i'm just simply commenting in that particular el particular light which is the way i am most often meet new people uh well, you know again whether they come to me from linkedin or find me however most often our conversations i will see them in that light uh the light that they are when they're raising funding. And this is how a pitch goes most often. Those nine and 10 I reference. 
they will, in short, be very precise. I mean, down to the to the penny on what they want from me or the investors or lenders that I'm speaking on behalf of. Or example, I need two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to fund my organic tampon business. 40% will go to marketing. 60% will go to these other things that I put in this, this pie chart here. That I'm, that now that I've sent you my deck, are you not looking at it? Uh, those type things. So, 250000 Got it. And these are the... This is where it's going. This is what you think that 250000 this is where you think it needs to go to produce the outcome that you think you won't that will be successful to this business now let's turn around and ask an equal but opposite question and i think for the listeners i think most of you will agree with me here this is an equal and only logical or a logical response that's what's in it for you the two hundred fifty thousand. you being the person presenting i won't say you because for the listener i'm sure it's confusing for the person fundraising they want the 250000 and they very detailed it out on you know, their speculations on what they think that, of how they kept that number came to be. So, the return, what's in it for me? What are you giving up for that 250000 What is the consideration given? Whether it's to me, whether it's to my friend, Jilly Bob Thornton, that I, that I know has an interest in organic tampon making based in Southeast Asia. Uh, what is it that you want me to go negotiate with him to, to get that 250000 out of his pocket on your behalf? Uh, or in general, what is the consideration given blind to anyone in return that provides you what you say you need or what the razor says they need, which is 250000 that answer, nine of ten times without fail, is a lot more abstract than the 250000 is precise. It's very precise what you need from the investors. A lot of founders walk into a pitch, and all they focus on is the total number of fundraising. They, their whole pitch goes is ultimately meandering around, we need X, which is usually a financial amount. And a very, that's, the, that's the bulk of the conversation. They miss in that conversation. Why? Why does the? Why? What's in that for the investor? What does that do? And I want to just caution here and say, a lot of startup founders at this point, when I get into after presenting what they need, a pitch like any, even selling the business to your customer, should be targeted to your audience. And if your audience, in the case of fundraising, is, in this case, the stakeholder is not the consumer, but instead is the investor, hopefully the, or, you know, the one that gives, gives uh, way to this business so that later customers will benefit. So the inception, if you will, a uh, founding member, so to speak, you should think of your pitch still targeted to what's in it for them and i can devote a, a whole series of podcasts around uh, diving into the fallacy that that thinking 
a simple number on a spreadsheet is equal consideration for tangible hard greenbacks in today's in whatever now is whether now is right now or now is 10 years when you're pitching what do i mean simply saying i get x percent of your company in return for in this case 250,000 investment in your organic tampon uh, manufacturer in the Philippines the 250,000 is very clearly has a real value in today's uh, in today's landscape in the now and that is it's worth 250,000 uh, to say I get X percent on a spreadsheet of a reward of some date in the future is not the same as instant gratification of the 250,000. If you have a great investment or you have a great investment opportunity in your, in your venture, you're out there solving cancer uh, and you know, you're doing the good thing, you're fighting the good fight and the investor feels that then even if they make the investment, it's, it's doing so, you know, and you give the pitch that, you know, the consideration is equity on a spreadsheet. The investor at the time of sending, of giving, making the investment is doing so off consideration that the long-term investment of the reward is worth the risk that you're asking in that present time of, of fundraising, which in that time in this case is 250000 But I, the, the point here, and I don't want to get too abstract and I don't want to blur too much, but... Again, the, the thing to focus on is tangible, in the now, instant gratification, and whatever you ask for, if it's financial, it will have that because money has a generalized association or utility to it in that it's our currency. Um, you know, 250000 may mean something different to two people, of course, but 250000 still generally means 250000 worth of currency in that dollar now again each person can decide if that what that actually means for them but we can at least start with a real tangible assessment and value to what 250,000 is when you offer a return and the consideration for that investment is simply a number on a spreadsheet you I hope that you can see how no matter how great your company is, even if you are fighting the good fight and you've got the cure for cancer um, and, and other notable ventures of, of that magnitude, uh, the number on the spreadsheet at the, at the time of you getting the investment, and that is the investors giving up relinquishing control of the funding and putting it in your control, is less in that they're buying something in a future time that what that what that equity can be but it's not that presently whereas the 250,000 is real presently so you have this when you're pitching this this paradigm to fight against which is you need instant support and you need to solicit those by playing on future rewards it's quite a quite a challenging paradigm and many cha many fail it simply they can't grasp um 
how to connect those two otherwise opposite parts. Uh, you know, the now versus the future. Or I won't say opposite, I'll say conflicting uh, settings. You know, the setting of the now versus the setting of, you know, long future. I'll get, in the future, I'll, my investment will make more. But right now, I have to lose, 200, I have to risk 250000 I have to take it out of my bank, put it in theirs. That's a hard challenge, and I do understand it. Uh, though entrepreneurs, the 9 and 10, are doing themselves no favors by beating around and remaining abstract when it comes to what's in it for the investor. I would like, in my utopian world, and it is utopian, that it's equal. Considerations are equal. Being you ask what you ask for, what you are fundraising, and all that is required, and all that you come and solicit other stakeholders, including investors, future employees, etc., you give an equal return and consideration to them. That is, again, utopian. Um, in a lot of ways, it's particularly within the financing, early stage financing, um, one side's going to likely win more than the other. I mean, that's okay. Doesn't mean the, the lesser winner isn't a winner or that they know that they're lesser. Um, kind of get into a utility topic there. Um, when you're pitching, the keep the one in 10, and I'll end it with this. I didn't mean for this podcast to go this long. Again, I'm just kind of soapboxing to myself. Um, I hope you appreciate the story embedded instead of me just getting to this point. Uh, the one in 10 that are successful and that I've seen investors flip the parrot, flip the script and that they're not saying no, they're instead fighting to say yes with amongst themselves. And those are the one in 10, one pattern sticks out among all. And that is those founders come out from the very gate, from their very first problem solution statement, from their very first hello and their 15 second elevator pitch. They start talking about a problem and they talk about it in ways that are relatable. Things that we, I, I want to say something very contradictory here and, and, and complex, and I hope I don't lose you. And that is feelings are everything and feelings are nothing. And what I mean by that is feelings are what make us do everything. No one is, I hear a lot of tech founders and they talk about their pristine code and all this great engineering, which is to be admired though no consumer has ever thought about Facebook's algorithm before they signed up for an account. Um, no one thinks about the logistics and the headaches it goes in to just put that Kellogg's box of cereal on that third shelf. Twice, to all the work that goes in, no one's thinking about those things. They're thinking about how that product makes them feel in that moment or has made them feel in the case of cereal you could say, I was hungry, and I am no longer hungry after cereal. So again, the feeling of hunger is what led them to want to think about being in the market for cereal, or anticipation of future hunger, I guess, uh, rather. But your feelings are only yours. Keep that in mind. That's why I say they're nothing. They are subjective. They are only your feelings. But when you're getting into these long feelings that are only yours, keep that in mind that that should be personal and not business. 
and that business is implied it's a collective it should be a shared feeling um, in entrepreneurship I could probably do a series on I think the foundation of entrepreneurship is solving problems so therefore it needs to be shared and shared by many um, especially if you want to get into get past product market fit and get into actual scale you you should solve a problem and solve a problem for many people that many people experience um, but the best founders as it relates to pitches they come out and they really dive into that moment the problem that they are setting out to solve they don't when it gets to the terms of the funding it becomes more just a, an algorithm uh it's algorithmic uh, uh it's you know hey you need this much to market you know for google adwords on, with these keywords you need this much you, you need just you just add it up and boom that's your number it's it's not a very complex uh it's not as complex as some people like to make financials especially when you get into the speculative notion of projecting into into the future of what you may need in six months a year etc um the founders those one in ten that really stick and in a lot of ways more than just their success rate at getting funded but the overall probably success rate i haven't done a study here but the ones the, the entrepreneurs that really just from the very inception keep their focus on the problem solution I feel they, they are far success, more successful than their counterparts, those nine and 10 I reference, uh, in pretty much all fields that they could be compared to, I would think, and I am talking out my behind there. I've not done that research. But the founders that can come out and they'll give a pitch, for example, this one gentleman that uh, stuck with me, and this was within 30 seconds of getting on the phone with him and us doing our preliminary, hey, I'm Jason, hey, you're so-and-so, hey, I'm glad to meet you. And once we got through that, this is the pitch I got in about 30 seconds. His mother had died in an ambulance with an ambulance that was only 10 minutes away, 10 minutes from the location where the, the ambulance was routed or uh, dispatched from. The problem being in these rural areas there is, Google Maps is not the most updated, believe it or not, the most uh, intuitive map system of the United States uh, roadways. A lot of the systems that EMSs and emergency systems use are that publicly available map, such as Google Maps, which will take you, and I'm sure we've all been on it, especially those that were in, at, old enough to drive in the beginning as Google Maps became popular, uh, it will take you on a 45-minute route, which you know could have been 10 through this other road. But Google didn't think of that road. Well, in, the, in this case, we're speaking of an emergency situation, life or death, where that detour cost someone their life. Wow. Now, you talk about a feeling that I can resonate with. You're, I, I may not have had my mother pass away due to an ambulance that could have got there in 10 but took 45 minutes instead but um, but i have been on google maps and been on a detour that i know was a detour but google didn't know google thought this was the main road especially again beginning of tech you know the beginning of the i say 2000s till probably late into the 2010s uh maps was not the most um intuitive or up-to-date system so I can relate with that and I can see that that's a big problem or I, and that I feel it 
and I have heard it expressed by others. And as I say it now, if you relate and can say, oh yeah, Google Maps was shit back in the day, then that's what I'm speaking of, that shared notion. That, re that re realization that many have experienced that. Well, that pitch grabbed me and he set his whole mission to make sure no one else's mother died in unnecessarily due to just bad maps when better maps exist. Now, he wasn't recreating a map system. He was simply building a, an infrastructure that emergency medical systems and uh, enterprises could plug into that is more intuitive, more realistic than Google Maps alone. I thought that was phenomenal. I have loved working with that founder um, in many regards uh, and outside of particularly how we first met under this venture. Uh, it's been a, you could say, a beneficial relationship, a professional relationship. So entrepreneurs, if you, anyone's out there fundraising, understand that in the idea stage, you're pretty much obligated to vest yourself. And if you have to go get friends and family, if you have to you know, get a, get, uh, take a term loan, whatever the case may be, please understand that there needs to be some connection to solving a problem and that those at that idea stage and, and when you move into getting product market fit which is blowing this you know get it filling out your business model and seeing how the whole business works in both of those areas a lot of the onus is on you to prove it if you do not and i think it's very naive and completely selfish to think that if you have unsubstantiated data whether it's uh, or claims, you know, and unsubstantiated meaning you haven't talked to the consumer, you don't have paying customers, which means, you know, the business model is not validated. It's obviously one of the key components of a business model is who pays and how much and does that over, does that money coming in cover the cost of operations? That's, again, you'll figure, get to the, into that when you get into the product market fit say, stage. But even in the idea stage and even more so, the obligation is on you if you're asking me or anybody for 250,000 or X and yet you don't have substantiated, you don't have validated claims and you've only invested, you know, what you could afford based on whatever your savings and budget was, but nothing again produced uh, validated evidence, then I say you are way too selfish to be in the business of entrepreneurship being with the principle that I believe entrepreneurship as stated earlier, and I could devote a podcast to this, then probably likely will, that entrepreneurship's foundation is in serve, getting lost in service of others. Um, if, you, if you come to me, and, and, I, and maybe I'm overcomplicating this issue, I'll, I'll try to put it as simply as I can. Uh, in this example, the 250000 and very little details and what's in it for me other than you know probably some percentage on a balance sheet uh and the way i the reason or how i'm seeing that is selfish that you have to have you you want funding to validate your you want someone else's money to validate your 
unsubstantiated claims. I'm not against unsubstantiated claims. All startups start as just guesses and we're trying to figure it out. But nonetheless, when we're making the guesses, and those guesses, especially in the idea, concept, those are on you to fill out, fund, uh, and solve. All park, park up the whole cycle in the idea. I think it would be selfish and naive to go to an investor or even lender and say, hey, I want your money to prove my ideas. Um, they have no reason to to risk on behalf of your alleged superiority in whatever field. You may be the ex-NASA scientist, but as it relates to what you're wanting funding for, they have zero reason to trust uh, your judgment. Now, if they want to, because you give a great presentation, good for you. Um, great. But I think a lot of founders need to look in the mirror, be realistic about the stage they are at, and I and in the idea and product market fit, you know, prior to you know growth, which is this full on at the growth stage commercialization. This is full on client acquisition. How many clients can we get uh, every day? Uh, you need to do. You need to look yourself, founders, in the mirror. One, pick correct goals. What I mean by goals, I think a lot of startups spend their time, like myself in a lot of ways, focusing on the wrong metrics and telling themselves that's a success. I can't tell you how many startup founders of those 99% that I haven't fund that I was unable to secure funding for that are still nowhere, no better off, no, no forward progress. And a lot of those founders, and this has been years they've been working on these, you know, they're side projects uh you know they're on facebook ceo or whatever you know this site really this entrepreneur effort is and it still has zero progress as far as validating anything substantial to an outside observer um and that's unfortunate and a lot of that's a lot of the nine and ten say half of them are operating under some fallacy which is really the derivative of bad goals you're, you're you're not focusing on the right things and it's hard because you know like i said the startup stage is all ideas um it's all guessing we're, we're trying well not all but we're trying to take something unknown with our knowns and go in and project into the unknown which is the notion of tomorrow the future uh you know our business is success in six months 12 months and i think if coronavirus taught us anything it's that Murphy is always is always uh, around and always present and ever present. Uh, there will be, I think General Eisenhower is the one that said it. Uh, planning is indispensable. I mean, you know, no battle plan will survive first contact, but planning is indispensable. So what I'm saying, yes, we should plan and we should be honest in our planning and and have honest conversations with ourselves as founders in the mirror with only ourselves. And that is in the beginning stage. The onus is on us. You know, however you can scrape by beg steal cheat well that's not steal and cheat but that funding is on you if it comes it will most likely statistically not be an equity investment because you are not equity you're not equitable and too many founders spend a, a loophole talking about their valuation well i can tell you if you have zero customers i don't care about your value it's spec it's too speculative for me it could tomorrow could change a ton if all these marketing strategies that you're doing uh, work next thing you know your company could be who knows what it could be but if you're really at the idea 
and product market fit stage uh, stages. I don't want to get, I'm not interested in topics about your $5 million valuation. I don't even think you're worth a hundred thousand because I'm an idea is about maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little jaded because I've heard so many ideas uh, to give a number. I think my first year I heard a thousand pitches just to give a, that's all I was doing was talking to people um, to give. So maybe I'm a little jaded and, I, and I'm desensitized to ideas, but ideas are 1% of it. I think everybody has one. The 99% comes to the execution. As I've seen, as I've mentioned in hindsight, a lot of those founders, what they were pitching 2013, 14, 15, 16, it, nothing's changed. And now it's 2021. Um, of course, they'll still blame the investors. Oh, I lacked funding. Well, you probably lacked an idea that people wanted to get behind uh, and lacked funding. It's two things, not just one, but they'll only tell you about the one problem. Nonetheless, uh, this conversation's went way longer than I expected and won't the average podcast to be. If I had visual, um, and I may do a YouTube where you can just see, uh, I feel like if you're going to talk for a long time, you should have a visual. Um, but founders, do your homework and be honest with yourself. Uh, focus in on the problem. You know, stay rooted in the problem and what and what you're, how you're benefiting consumers. Uh, stay in that. The rest of the business will come from that center. Uh, that is, you know, kind of like not to quote Bruce Lee, but to quote Bruce Lee, you know, find your center and you can move in any direction, or stay in your center and you can move in any direction. Well, that's the way I think entrepreneurs need to be, ideally. And that center, in that center, is solving that customer's need. You don't need to be selfish and go tell an, an investor to invest in something that you haven't invested in or you haven't invested equally what you're asking, whether it's money, effort, time. If you're asking for 250000 or large, the larger the sum you ask, the more vested I need to see from you, i.e., the proof of concept or your validation, not proof of concept, but well, yeah, proof of concept and the idea and in your business model. What I need to see a lot of evidence, the higher you ask. Obviously, the lower you ask, um, we can get a little bit more equally as we lower the ask, we can get a little looser with our requirements as far as funding. Now, in closing, keep in mind that on the debt side, and I'm anyone can speak to me, I can speak for days on, on and still I'm very novice when it comes to the different debt vehicles. Equity is a little bit simpler, I guess, but debt, there's, you know, every, there's only 40,000 kinds of loans and each one of them's different from the next. I'm not quite that detailed. Uh, I just know they exist and where to get them if someone is interested or who I'd recommend rather. Uh, debt is available for anyone. Most for example, I've got a few offers now from lenders that offer, I will say, under 100000 pretty much blind. All you have to do is have a pulse. And you have to have a decent credit, which means you have a decent history of paying back your obligations. Okay, well, let's say you have bad credit. Well, they'll let someone else sign for you. Uh, and let's say you can't find someone. They'll, they'll put you on credit restoration programs. In three to six months, they'll have your credit fundable. Um, just now that's again another three to six months added. I get that that's time uh, What's the point here? The point is funding is available funding is not why your business fails Funding is not why your business is not getting off the ground You wanting other people's funding only could be a large reason why your business fails 
especially in the early stage. And I mean the early, the pre-seed stage. I'm not talking early stage like Series A. Series A, I would consider commercialization, you know, growth phase. I would consider kind of coming out of product market fit and needing that large injection of capital to commercialize, to grow, to fund growth. But they're giving the investors a lot to work with. They're giving them working models that can plug and play. And keep in mind from an investor standpoint, even a lender standpoint, a gamble and an investment is entirely two different things. It's not a gamble when you have working odds that you can manipulate and leverage in going forward into your success. By definition, that is not a gamble. A gamble, you cannot alter the odds. What makes it a gamble it, when you flip the coin is it could go either way. And you, there's nothing once you flip it that you can do to alter those odds. It's going to land how it lands. Whether the wind comes by at that, well, who knows? But zero on your, that's a gamble. The zero impact. You could win, you could lose. You don't know. It's the only way you know is if you try. With an investment, entirely different. That's not the same thing. An investment is we have 10,000 beta users with a sticking, our product stickiness, with 86% of them referring and recurring users that spend an hour a day on my platform that I can that I can send targeted ads to with affiliates that that moving forward I've got to wait you know I can either email them I can talk to them on social they tell me every day when I look at their social profiles what it is they like and don't like I have information that going forward with these 10,000 beta users and this 200,000, 250,000 investment, I've got information that I can leverage moving forward that will alter the outcomes of that 250. I can have an impact that can help positive outcomes come my way. I can't do that with a gamble. A lot of startups are just a gamble. They're presenting their gamble that they want someone else to fund. And therefore, I think that is entirely selfish, which is the sake, the topic of this episode. Startup founders, stop being selfish. Be realistic. If you want someone to believe in your idea, believe in it yourself and back it to the same degree you want someone else back it. Let's say you don't have 50,000 sitting in the bank. Well, then go get a loan. Well, am I telling you to get a loan to fund a risky investment? That's not exactly the best financial advice someone could give. But if you fully believe in your idea and you subsequently want to raise $2 million, it would be a heck of a story to tell a, a, a validation for maybe just me to say, hey, he went out and got a $50,000 loan, and because it was a loan, it did. he knew he was on the hook. The bankers will come, you know, whatever, if you had to collateralize the loan or not. Let's say you didn't. Uh, now, at the worst, it's on their record that they owe the $50,000. But nonetheless, you took a chance that I think would be equal, or at least the person, when you do get to the stage of asking for 250,000 or a million, they can appreciate your degree of vestedness. Just having an idea and working 24 hours a day on it is not exactly vested. Just means you're working 24, and as I've stated, a lot of entrepreneurs in our day and age aren't even really entrepreneurs. They're just working on failed ventures uh, with bad ideas, and that's unfortunate. And it's their own doing. Mainly, again, they're asking themselves the wrong questions or setting the wrong goals. Um, well, I guess that's enough for now. Uh, I hope I've offended those that should be. 
and I hope those I hope I've educated those that uh, were open and seeking to event one day raise funding. Um, have any questions? Uh, all things tech, finance, marketing, uh, especially when it comes to artificial intelligence, space exploration, sex bots, all those great, all those great topics. Please don't hesitate in reaching out to me. Um, hopefully I'll get some podcast guests on here so you don't just have to listen to my accent. And if, uh, so if anybody wants to be a guest, um, and, and, and can spin it in kind of the areas just aforementioned, I think, uh, I would, I would highly enjoy if we got connected. So thanks for everybody that made it this far. Uh, y'all are the real MVP. Um, you motivate me, uh, in those dark times when, Maybe I didn't want to do a podcast, but just did. Uh, just because maybe someone somewhere, it helps. Uh, otherwise, it was good to vent and have you strangers listening in the shadows listen to me. Thank you. Bye-bye.